0: On today's To Think Minimum, we sat down with Wall Street analyst and TPI board member Laura Martin to talk about the changing media landscape. As it turned out, we had only about 15 minutes, which we used talking about Netflix. Still, given that Netflix had announced its earnings only the day previously, the conversation was interesting and illuminating. So enjoy this relatively short episode of To Think Minimum and the somewhat abrupt ending, and we'll have Laura back soon for a fuller discussion. Hi, and welcome back to TPI's podcast, To Think Minimum. It's Tuesday, July 17th, 2018, and I'm Scott Walston, president and senior fellow at the Technology Policy Institute. Today on our 11th episode, I'm talking to Wall Street analyst Laura Martin. Laura is a senior analyst at Needham & Company. She received her BA from Stanford and her MBA from Harvard Business School. She began her career at Drexel Burnham Lambert in media investment banking, followed by capital research and management, where she advised $100 billion and managed a $500 million portfolio of media stocks. She moved to Credit Suisse First Boston in 1994 as the senior media analyst. And in 2002, she moved to Paris to become EVP of financial strategy and investor relations for Vivendi Universal. In 2004, she founded Media Metrics LLC, publishing equity research on the largest entertainment cable and internet stocks in the U.S., where she was nationally ranked as best of the independent research boutiques by institutional investor for many years. In 2009, Laura moved to Needham & Company, where she is now and publishes research on the largest internet and entertainment companies. I should also add that Laura is a member of TP. Board of directors. Good afternoon. Let's start off by talking about how content is made and that Netflix just nominated for 112 Emmys and HBO was nominated for only 108. Some people have used that to say that Netflix is becoming a dominant force in content creation, but you've pointed out that might be a function of what they're spending. Point. Yeah, I
1: mean, I would make two points. I mean, I think it's fair to say Netflix is becoming a dominant member of the content creation community because they're spending $12 billion, which I think is if you added Disney and CBS and NBC's budgets together, I bet that Netflix is still bigger. So, by that definition, they are definitely a dominant player in the content creation business. When you look at Emmys, HBO, and they just did surpass HBO for the first time, I think, in seven years. HBO spends $3 billion a year on content, and Netflix will spend $12 billion a year on content. So you you would hope that if you spend four times as much that you could have just as many Emmys.
0: But they're not getting four times as many Emmys.
1: They're not getting four, not yet anyway. Sure, they hope to someday.
0: Is it sustainable?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends, right? So the difference is that Netflix really does have global scale. So 65% of their subscriber growth is coming from offshore. So, So long, and they're spending a lot of money doing content offshore. So that's another, I would say, distinction too, right? HBO's programming is predominantly for the US audience. Whereas Netflix is doing a lot of local shows in France and in Germany. And as they try to get into India, they're doing more and more local language shows. And then some of those travel back, especially Latin America. You've seen some of those Spanish language shows like Narcos that were made for the Latin American market actually do travel back to the U.S. to Spanish language communities. So I think that's their home run when they make something for a local market and then it travels to other countries. And part of that, a lot of their money goes to that. So in part, it's not that they're spending $12 billion in the U.S. versus H. Because three billion in the US it's still 12 billion globally on content.
0: I May mean, people talk about the sort of explosion in the number of, in the amount of content with Netflix and Hulu and, and so on. but you know there's only a limited amount of talent. And so are we actually seeing additional content or are they just driving up the price for the inputs of good content actors and writers and so on? Or are we seeing more bad content? Are they actually finding people who make good content who would not have had outputs otherwise?
1: Right, so two statistics. One is we have seen a doubling of the number of series, and this is like TV series, being made. We now have 400 new series this year, and that's probably double from three years ago. So we are getting more content made. The answer is there is more good content being made. The problem is consumer time. Consumer time is fixed to that 24-hour day. So like Reed Hastings at Netflix says, I compete with sleep. That's who that 400 episodes, they may have like 200 of them might be all great, But the problem is you run out of time. So people don't see them. It's hard to discover them because there's so many. And you you just have a certain number of fixed hours. So you're going to find some of the good episodes. I'm going to find some of the good episodes. But in general, what we're doing is fracturing the viewing audience across more hours of content. So for sure, there's more good content being made because there's also more bad content being made.
0: Is AT&T going to be able to work with HBO?
1: Yes, they are. I mean, they're going to be built big cultural differences. The culture at Time Warner was very much autonomous autonomy. I think AT&T is a little more buttoned up and centralized. But so far, what the press reports are saying is that AT&T wants to give HBO more money to have more series. That's a good idea for great content makers. They should have more money for to make more series. That's a good
0: idea. What do you think the future looks like i mean is it going to be dominated by companies like netflix or is it going to be the case that the companies that have been able to get talent will remain the ones who have been able to be able to get talent because they know the industry they're much more used to being in la than in new york or dc
1: well i mean i think great content creators are really rare and right now netflix is buying those people like a chandra rhymes or like a ryan Murphy. so they are buying those people under three-year contracts or five-year contracts The answer is that those people are talented and they'll be working for Netflix for the foreseeable future. And then the question becomes, are there new talent? Those people were established in the old world. Are there new people coming up that are equally talented that you and I have never heard of and it wouldn't occur to Netflix? Forbid? Yeah. And they're sitting in the, let me call it, traditional world where companies have a schedule like the CBS schedule or the ABC schedule and they have slots they need filled in. So to the extent that Netflix cannibalizes or takes away talent from the old ecosystem, that old ecosystem has to grab somebody new and maybe take more of a risk on them. There's plenty of talented people out there.
0: So, I mean, you said that, at least what we were talking about earlier, that with Netflix, the the amount of money they're spending on content is not sustainable. The talent that they're hiring, are those people likely to stay at Netflix? Will Netflix have a culture that allows for good content creation?
1: I think that actually remains to be seen because content cultures are really difficult to manage they tend to be very hands off but at the same time you have to, well the old world you had you edited that, that creative conflict dialogue was really helpful to the process rather than just giving somebody autonomy so I think that's what Netflix is new at. I think they began in the world by giving, writing a check to Kevin Spacey's company for House of Cards and go make us a hundred hours of episodes. And he came back and delivered the episodes. That licensing deal was in place for five years. And now they started moving things in-house to their own studio. But that studio culture is super important. And it's really hard to replicate what Warner Brothers has on that Warner Brothers lot, which is so storied, or the CBS TV lot. These cultures that hold on for long periods of time Time to the most talented people are just really rarefied air in terms of being hands off and hands on simultaneously and having a lot of creative people around to sh- rub shoulders with and collaborate with. And it, so Netflix has to prove out that it can create and maintain a studio system so people are on the payroll.
0: Do you see, I mean, you spend part of your life in LA and part of it in, in New York. Do you see different perspectives on Netflix and the traditional content guys in different places? Like from what you're saying, it would seem like the industry in LA would be more skeptical. Whereas in New York, they seem to, at least according to its valuation, love Netflix.
1: And I think they said yesterday on the Netflix call that Chandra was moving up to, I think the Netflix studios near them up in the Silicon Valley. Yeah. So that is really weird because yeah. we don't have very, any content being made up there. So I'm sort of lost as to where Chandra Ryan has moved to. But anyway, maybe maybe she moved to their LA studio, which would make more sense to me. But anyway, um, the answer is there is a very successful content culture in LA. There is also a decent content culture in New York because you have theater, you do have TV, you do have filmmaking for sure. So you have a lot of different creative You have dance here. There's a lot of creative artistic endeavors in New York because there's 12 million people on a six mile island, Mm -hmm. right? So just a lot of people in New York City. I would say it is very, I think it would be very hard to establish a creative community in the Silicon Valley with all those algorithm driven geniuses. I, I don't think that would be a successful, you know, idea, but I think LA or New York is, and New York's going to cost you a lot more money because the cost of living here is so much higher. But uh, so I would say L.A. is better from a but I, and I think it'd be hard to do it anywhere else. Detroit, no. Austin, Texas, no. I think it'd be hard to do it somewhere else. So L.A. and New York is probably where I would guess content for me set
0: But Netflix has said or at least people who studied Netflix say that they believe that algorithms can be useful in making content. They can predict what people will like, the kinds of shows they want to see and so on. It sounds like you don't think that's right.
1: No, if you have to spend $12 billion to get as many that means as the HBO team for $3 billion, I think you should have an H- HBO team would be cheaper for you. You wouldn't waste $8 billion. Do
0: you think that's a possibility? No.
1: I (laughs) don't. I don't. Because I think people at HBO really, really work well as a team together. And they have a really great reputation of working with talent in a collaborative way, not a hands-off, not an invasive, but a really collaborative way to make the project better. And at the end of the day, that's what a content person really wants is they want the best project. And the HBO people help you get there.
0: A year ago at our Aspen Forum, you were talking about these these issues and you were saying how important these new companies were in content, how much they were going to affect the industry and so on. And some people were kind of skeptical. And it seems like in the last year, things have changed really quickly. Mm -hmm. What surprised you about this past year?
1: They threw a lot more money on it a lot faster. Mm -hmm. I mean, Netflix has been gearing up for the last five years. We all saw these huge increases in content spending and they've been talking about this every quarter for 12 quarters we're going to spend more We're gonna, and every time they keep upping their amount they're spending on content because they're going more global um which costs money so that didn't surprise anybody i think what really surprised people is when apple went out and bought two two guys very talented guys from tv guys from sony tv and is now putting three billion dollars behind them because to the apple like what's three billion dollars mm-hmm. like that's a lot of money in the tv world it's not so much money for apple which will be be the first company to hit one trillion dollars of market capitalization. Facebook launched the watch tab, which is long form premium video, and they're paying people to make video, long form video content like WWE makes content for the watch tab, and it is exclusive to Facebook. They'll spend eh, two billion dollars this year. Amazon spent five billion this year like crazy. It's up from nothing. Okay, that's not true, but up for almost nothing. So I think the big thing that surprised us all is every one of these internet aggregators that sort of has been arm's length to long form content, like TV and film has suddenly started spending billions of dollars. And if you added it together, it's the entire budget of CBS in a year, who's the 50-year reigning champ of TV.
0: So on the one hand, you're saying that uh, with uh, Netflix spending $12 billion, you'd expect Mm -hmm. them to get um, at least as many Emmy nominations as HBO. But obviously, they're not getting as big a bang for the buck. On the other hand, for a lot of these tech companies, this is just chump change. Um, They've got a very low cost of capital. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? I mean, does that make it they can just pour so much more money in to creating content that they can just overwhelm the traditional guys because they don't need to get the same bang for the buck?
1: It means they'll spend one, two, or three years wasting money, spending $3 billion, five, billion, $5 billion, seven billion, and they'll figure out they can't do this because at the end of the day, you can buy people, but you can't. It's really hard to create a culture where they'll stay. And at the end of the day, you want a positive ROI business in theory. So I think at the end of the day, what they will ultimately decide is it's cheaper to go buy CBS or Warner Brothers, which is now owned by AT&T, that you go buy a You go buy Disney. You buy a place that has proven that it has a studio lot and an environment that actually can not only, you know, sort of attract for money, but retain creative people who work together that give you Marvel movies sort of years at a time. That's a good acquisition Pixar. their environment has given you 10 years of movies successful movies that was a good return on investment. that's what you need to buy is the culture of the place and then the people will come and make you great movies that keep up with the times.
0: Well, so that it sounds like AT&T and Comcast and other companies like that that are trying to vertically integrate on the distribution side. Smart. Yeah. Because they're they're keeping
1: the culture rather than just trying to throw money at the problem like it's an algorithm. So does
0: that mean that ultimately Facebook has to buy Comcast?
1: Well, no. I think Facebook has to buy Viacom or Discovery or probably, you know, CBS something. But it it will, my view is they will not be able to make content within the confines of their algorithmic culture. They will have to find a place where content people are kept at arm's length with a couple of people who talk to the two entities with a narrow bridge where they meet on the bridge, and everyone else stays either in a content world or in a data-driven algorithmic world, and they, they don't understand each other. They should never have to understand each other.
0: Laura, thanks so much for talking with us today, and we will have you back soon.